0: you listening to the Mr. Sensational Geno Vega podcast on the Odyssey Robots Radio Network. What is up, everybody? It's me. It's me. It's Mr. Sensational Geno V with episode 24 of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. Uh, things are going a little bit better so far than when I started recording last week, though not without some trials and tribulations. I guess there's always a certain gauntlet factor to recording a podcast, particularly when one does it uh, for the pure uh, pursuit of the pod and not for any kind of... Uh, compensation or livelihood, um, thereby having to carve out time within one's life um, free of distraction and uh, obstacle to record said podcast or something. In any case, my equipment is all working this week. I've got my microphone back online. That's all running a lot smoother than the last time. But as always, I'm on this tight two-hour window window framework to get this show recorded while the kids are at school and of course the second I pulled up into the driveway after dropping them off a neighbor across the street wants to chat once I disengaged from that as soon as I sat down booted up the computer got the microphone on here Ms. S called but ducked dodged weaved bobbed and now here I am gabbing at you about not much of anything which is par for the course here on the Mr. Sensational Geno Vega podcast A show where we sensationalize the everyday when I share with you, the listener, reflections, thoughts, opinions, views that you never wanted and don't need about my exceedingly mundane average life. So as we get into it today, I want to take one moment here to shout out that across the street neighbor that I mentioned just a moment ago. Uh, A fellow named Chris, who just turned 87, he lives in a house across the street that he bought for some ungodly low sum, like $12,000 or something like that, many, 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 many moons ago. Uh, Worked as a long-distance truck driver, much like a friend of the network, Eric Purcell, um, obviously is retired now. Um, his wife just passed, uh, not long ago, but he is still up and around out and about. And the first time I ever met this guy, uh, he wanted me to come into the house cause he wanted to show me his hobby, his hobby being he makes, uh, houses, miniature houses out of cardboard boxes. You know, like he, he, uh, cuts up cardboard to make like the uh, furniture and various accoutrements. And then he uses cardboard for the walls, the roofs. He uses a level to make sure everything's as straight as possible. Um, and he creates these cardboard houses. And he was uh, telling me about how this was his uh, key to staying alert, key to staying alive, that he had this uh, uh, creative hobby that he would do. And to me, he didn't know it. He and he, I seem to think, I it, it seemed as if, He's used to people being sort of weirded out when he reveals this to them, but it made perfect sense to me because to me, this was peak Genoveganism. The idea that one of the keys to uh, living, I don't want to go so so far as to say a meaningful life, but uh, something to keep you anchored to life is in the midst of all this ordinary uh, primordial ooze that we're floating through every day of chores and tasks and social obligations and uh, all the excruciatingly boring and mind-numbing things it takes to make a living and, and and stay living as a ordinary average schmo. One of the keys to keep it together through all of that mind-numbingness is, is to have that thing that's your thing that allows you to Bring your imagination to life in the world through creativity. Whether it's building those cardboard houses, uh, recording a podcast where you sensationalize the everyday, uh, creating intricate fire pro wrestling rosters, uh, cataloging and organizing your comic book collection, uh, whatever your own dopey thing might be. It's really not that dopey. It's a very necessary Expression of creativity, and we've talked about creativity on this show before, and I meant to cite Chris and his cardboard houses back when I did it, but I forgot. So Chris, there's your citation right now. Embrace that inner creativity that you do for absolutely no kudos, accolades, rewards, remuneration. Embrace it anyway and bring it to life in the world. Um, I think at 87 and uh, still going strong, Chris is a good example of what staying true to that creative spirit can do for you in the long run. And I don't I don't think it's the it's the be all and end all of life. I think ultimately the most important thing in life is uh having Uh, meaningful and significant relationships with other people. But when you are true to your thing, when you bring your thing into the world, you give other people something to relate to, something to latch on to, and it works both ways. It's like that first time Chris and I met and he showed me the cardboard houses, that sparked this long, hours-long conversation between the two of us and continued relationship between the two of us that I don't think would have been the same if all we'd done is shared small talk about, you know, what our job was or what kind of car we drove. Particularly because in this case... He's retired and doesn't drive, and I'm unemployed and I drive a Honda Civic. Folks, I've said for the last couple episodes that I've been planning on introducing a segment to the show or a format to the show where certain episodes, we talk about mortifying tales of Mr. Sensational Gino Vega, times in my life when I've done absolutely mortifying things, looking back on them and, uh, laughing about it or crying about it as it were. Um, and we're going to get to that today, but just a little preamble, uh, beforehand. I've been thinking about it and I was thinking about why, um, I thought that this would be a good idea for content. And part of it is because I live in constant fear that I'm going to run out of stuff to talk about on this show. And I have, you know, just a decades long backlog of mortifying tales I can throw out here. So I figure if I drop a few of those now and again, it stretches out um, the time I need to accumulate other uh, daily life content to inject into the show, because as someone who lives an exceedingly average, ordinary, mundane life, I don't really do a lot. So uh, I got to get what mileage I can out of the limited experiences um, that come down the pike. But why mortifying tales? Well, easy answer is they're entertaining. Um, Always good for a laugh, hearing about someone else's mishaps. Um, But in my case, there's a little bit more to that. Uh, I am, excuse me, eating some, uh, instant ramen here and it got uh, stuck in the gullet as it were. Um, I am someone that, uh, for whatever reason was born with the ability to recollect and recount just about every, uh, experience or encounter that I've ever had, um, I'd started to fade a little bit over the years. You know, the older I get, there's so many memories. It's like, I can't necessarily remember all of them anymore or remember them all with exact detail or accuracy, but um, just little interactions, um, everyday common things that most people would probably forget an hour later. Stick with me, sometimes for years at a time, sometimes for decades at a time. And that in and of itself is probably neither here nor there. But when you combine that, with the way I was raised, it starts to create some problems. Now you see for a little bit of Gino Vega's origin story, my mother was raised Catholic. Uh, her parents were immigrants from, uh, her mother from Canada and Hong Kong. She lived in both places and then came to the United States. And, uh, her father from Shanghai. So they were more or less Chinese uh, immigrants to the United States. And when they first came to the Los Angeles area, they were taken in by a Catholic priest who I think helped them with the immigration process and kind of getting the lay of the land here. And so they joined the church. And so for the parents, it was more of just kind of a social thing. Um, But my mother uh, took the tradition very seriously. And she also went to Catholic school from kindergarten through college. So my mom always um, had very deeply ingrained in her this Catholic idea of shame and sin and that uh, you're constantly being monitored by some sort of external entity and judged harshly for your actions. Um, Now, by the time my mom finished college, the 60s happened, she was living in San Francisco and she did a 180 from catholicism to uh more or less kind of secular humanism, atheist, feminism, you know. So she disregarded the whole catholic apparatus and uh uh became a radical leftist, not really, but you know, she took on more of that uh uh more of that dogma, one dogma for another. But that you can't really uh, erase a mechanism like that. So she still had that Catholic apparatus in her, but now it's almost a little harsher because there's still somehow an external entity judging you, but there's not even a god you can pray to anymore for atonement. So that's how I was raised, and I, the, none of this is like uh, conscious. Like I was never told this is how it is, but I'm looking back at my childhood, I realized I start to see these things now as a middle-aged individual that that I was basically raised with the idea that. I was constantly acting in the wrong, but there was nothing I could even really do to atone for it. Um, so when you take that mindset and add it to a penchant for remembering conversations, remembering interactions and and kind of obsessing on them, you start to enter a very uh, dangerous place because just a, a random uh, encounter, a random conversation, I can literally spend the next 10 years worrying that somehow i offended the person i was talking to or i i came across strange or i uh, did something to to uh, out myself as uh, uh being a bad person or being in the wrong um and holding on to these feelings for years at a time can be very tiring very distracting and as I've entered middle age, sometimes I've found myself kind of daydreaming, going on a tangent, uh, feeling guilt or terror about some mortifying thing I remember from years past. And suddenly it occurs to me that um, maybe half the people in this incident that I am remembering and fretting about aren't even alive anymore. So what am I, why am I still carrying this around? So I'm at a point where I kind of want to... Uh, Do some deep cleaning here. Let some of this stuff go. So this is how Mortifying Tales of Mr. Sensational Vega is going to work. We are going to share these horrifying tales of mortifying shame. And once we share them, they're gone for good. They're out in the ether. They're there for the the listeners of the podcast to uh, find amusement with if they so choose. But they're gone from me. Mr. Sensational has has, uh, given them up. And hopefully we'll... uh, feel that much lighter for having done so. So folks, join me as we begin this inaugural edition of Mortifying Tales with Mr. Sensational Gino Vega on the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the Icy Robots Radio Network. the year 1991 the place santa rosa california montgomery high school where mr sensational gino vega finds himself a hapless sophomore that is what they call 10th graders right i've never been good at the whole sophomore junior freshman senior designation in any case mr sensational gino vega was in 10th grade and mr sensational gino vega had arrived in 10th grade from Herbert Slater Junior High School. Back then, junior high school were grades seven through nine, after which we in the Santa Rosa City school system moved on to high school. Now, in junior high, Mr. Sensational Gino Vega had been somewhat of a dweeb, someone that was not the lowest individual on the totem pole, but certainly someone that got kind of the prison yard bully treatment on a daily basis. But by 10th grade, things had started to change for Mr. Sensational Gino Vega. He'd kind of found his own niche in the world, mainly through music. Gino Vega had gotten heavily into heavy metal, thrash metal music in 9th grade. And by 10th, had started to become a self-styled cool dude. Although cool dudism was fleeting in the 1990s. One year's cool dude was back to being next year's dweeb in many cases. And that's what was beginning to happen in 10th grade for Gino Vega, where thrash metal had allowed him to claw his way out of the dweeb abyss. In 9th grade, in 10th grade, the older students, the 11th and 12th graders, had grown out of metal. Metal was passé. Now it was all about punk rock and alternative music, but even that was starting to become passe because the coolest of cool dudes had gone from metal to punk and alternative to now rap music. Rap music was now the biggest standard because what was cooler than being a G'd out individual in suburban Santa Rosa, California. So continuing to look to music as his leverage into cool dudism in 10th grade. Gino Vega had attempted to glom onto and strike up conversation with various older cool dudes on campus at Montgomery high school and had noticed the snickers elicited by his Metallica baseball hat and mullet and was pretty desperate to not go back to the prison yard ways of junior high so was looking for an avenue to adapt and noticing this trend toward sort of a rap music by way of punk aesthetic. Mr. Sensational Gino headed to the mall, headed to a store called International Imports that sold band t-shirts and secured a public enemy t-shirt and a public enemy hat and proceeded to cut his hair short for the first time in the last couple of years after spending a couple of years getting it into proper thrash metal length. Gone was the mullet. Now, it was a short haircut and public enemy regalia as he attempted to reset and went back on campus to re-engage the cool dudes there and try to find his place among them. Uh, sorry for that. The Speaking of cool dudes, that was me just hitting the microphone accidentally while speaking. And so Mr. Sensational Gino Vega has set his sights on the coolest of the cool dudes, at least from his uh, aesthetic uh, perspective. On campus, a guy, I don't know if he was one grade or two grades ahead, he, he was either a junior or senior, 11th or 12th grade, a guy by the name of Mike. And Mike had jet black hair, just slicked to the gills with pomade wore a black uh, derby-style jacket, kind of tall, lanky guy, always chain-smoking out in front of the school, and he had kind of a retinue of uh, uh, followers. And um, so if Mike was King Cool Dude, Mike was seconded by his lieutenant, a fellow by the name of Bubby. Now, Bubby was obviously not a real name. Bubby was the individual's... um, I believe, self-proclaimed nickname. And if I understand correctly, Bubby is is maybe like a Yiddish word for grandmother. Um, and Bubby, I believe, was Jewish. And so it was kind of ironic that this surly uh, punk rock rap music youth was uh, calling himself a grandmother. Now, Bubby was kind of a short, stocky guy to Mike's tall, lanky guy. Um, and Bubby had a dyed blue mohawk but he usually wore a public enemy hat over it and was had pretty much by the time like cause, see my whole problem is I originally had these guys pegged as in my mind punk rock but if you were to ask them that oh we don't like that that's cliche you know you're putting us in a category we don't even listen to the punk rock music and besides they they had become really enamored with rap music really enamored with public enemy um Bubby was often uh on a soapbox about various black power uh, initiatives and uh, political beliefs. Um, so that, that's how I'd kind of realized, okay, if I want to make it with these guys, if I want to get over with these guys, I got to come with some of this public enemy gear. Hence the makeover at International Imports. I presented myself to them and thought that now for sure, for sure I was in. And I used to be able to get Mike to kind of chat with me a little bit, sort of amusedly. But then eventually um, Bubby would kind of run interference and kind of run me off. But once I came with the gear, the proper gear, I noticed um, Bubby was a little more amenable. And um, I'd study really hard. I researched all the information I could find in the pre-internet days about Public Enemy. And I'd have some talking points I'd drop with him. And, And I felt like I was really starting to get somewhere. I was really starting to make inroads. And then one day, the ultimate opportunity landed in my lap out of nowhere. So while I was attempting to get in with the cool dudes... I had another social sphere at high school that I was kind of adjacent to, that I was kind of an honorary member of, and that was the Asian kid group. Now, that's always been kind of a gray area for me because I'm mixed. I have an Asian mother, a uh, non-Asian father, and my mother, when she was growing up... uh, none of the kids in her household um learned the language um so there's kind of a disconnect there from from the heritage on that side uh, but at the same time that family was the dominant family when i was growing up like we didn't we saw my dad's parents some but my mom's extended family was like the main family the family i i associated with the most so i don't have a lot of a direct pipeline to chinese culture asian culture but i've always kind of identified with it because I I see those as like the people I came from. Um, So it's almost like I I was kind of like uh, abandoned on an alien planet Um, and then the people never came back to pick me up and they didn't really and so I've learned the ways of the planet I'm on but I know that I came from somewhere else. Anyway, another topic for another time. Point being, back at least in the 1990s in, in public school, Asian kids had a radar for each other and like, so even if I wasn't 100% bonafide, like I knew all the other Asian kids because we kind of knew there was a common ground that we kind of understood. So even though I had very little in common with, um, let's say um, the fellows in this story were some La- Laotian kids who were like full-on Laotian families, I think spoke the language and everything. Um, we just kind of had a, like a nod to each other an understanding. Um, so I was... I wouldn't say I was friends with these guys but I was friendly with this kind of G'd out Laotian Asian crew at the school because of our our background. And it's funny. You know, uh I was on a work trip a few years ago and um I was telling my boss at the time uh this story. Not this story but the story the idea that the Asian kids kind of have a, have a radar for each other and she thought I was being kind of very generalizing about about Asians. And it's like, "No, you, it, trust me, it's true." Then we went out to dinner that night on the work trip, and another of our colleagues was there who I believe um, is uh, Japanese American. And we're talking, we're talking, and all of a sudden we realize that uh, two of my cousins went to the same high school is, um, as uh, the Japanese American colleague of ours, and they all knew each other. Because guess what? Asian kids have a radar for each other. Ha ha! Blau, how you like me now. Anyway, so I knew these guys. In particular, I knew this Laotian guy named uh, Tavi. And then he had a friend that I didn't know as well, but I I just kind of knew who he was, um, named Nay Long. And these guys, uh, Gimmick at the time, they were doing the whole Southeast Asian gangster thing. Um, And part of that entailed uh, tagging, graffiti they were into spray painting their tags around town. What just so happened, since uh, Bubby and Mike were G'd out AF, they were also into tagging and graffiti. And one day when I was um, supplicating myself to Mike and his Lieutenant Bubby and trying to get in with them, I heard Bubby complaining that uh, Nay Long had been either Tagging in the same area as him, or tagging over his tags, or it was, it was some graffiti beef. And a light bulb went off in my head. And I realized, wait a minute, I know Long, He would never want to do anything to upset somebody. I'll go talk to him. I'll go say, hey, you know, Bubby's trying to do his tags. You're doing your tags. There's more than enough uh, concrete in this town for everyone. Let's all tag together and get along. And then, I'll solve this beef and Bubby will love me forever. And I, I will, I will be in. And through that, I'll be that much closer to Mike. So the next time I saw Nay long, I told him, Hey, you know, that guy, Bubby, you know, he said he didn't like where you were doing your tags. Um, and I told him, you know, you're cool and he's cool. So we can just all tag together. Right. And Naylong long just kind of listened to me and was like, uh, oh, all right. All right. And didn't really react. Didn't really think much of it, but still hoped for a positive outcome. Went home, kind of forgot about the whole thing, and then uh, returned to school the next day, ready for another day of trying to get over with Mike and company, and uh, strode right up to their little throng um, during the first break of the day, and walked up to Bubby, hey, what's up, man? And was greeted with one of the iciest glares that I've ever encountered in my life. Still gives me a chill to this day to just remember the pure antipathy being directed my way. Just pure, unadulterated, loathing, and disgust. And I was like, what's wrong? What happened? And he's like, what the F were you thinking? Why were you talking to Naylong about my tags? Yo, 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 that's my business, G. You disrespect me like that again, you're liable to get shot. And I was just like, uh, what? Um, and in that instant, it all of a sudden became so crystal clear to me. It was like, oh, that was actually antagonizing when I told one g out graffiti tagger that the other g out graffiti tagger was insulting his g out graffiti tags. Ah, I'm sometimes slow to how the ways of the world works, but I can see clearly now. So I tried everything to attempt to smooth things over in that instant. I... Uh, Pleaded my case. I apologized. I tried to use self-deprecating humor. I I tried to explain I didn't know what was going on. It hadn't made sense to me until just now. That I'd made a big mistake. I was sorry. And I was just met with that steely wall of shameful disgust. And Bubby was basically like, you know what, man? Just don't talk to me anymore. Don't ever talk to me again. I think that was the last time I ever talked to him. Uh, It was very um, Oz-like. I was no longer allowed to uh, fraternize with that particular quadrant of the prison anymore. I was kind of sent off on my own. And over time I recovered, and over time I clawed my way back to my own place of respectability, but I never really did regain the face I lost with the G'd out punk rockers um, at Montgomery High School in 1991. And in retrospect, it's kind of funny, and I'm purely speculating here, but I think part of what happened was me and my big mouth. I'm pretty sure looking back that um, Nalong's graffiti gang stuff was probably a little bit more bonafide and legit than uh, the white punk rock guys (laughs) gang and graffiti stuff. So I think I probably, it probably was not good for the Bubster that I brought his trash talking to light. Um, but it also probably wasn't the best move to, uh, report his trash talking. Although again, in my defense, I thought I was doing, I thought I was doing everyone a solid, (laughs) which I don't know how I could have possibly been thinking that, but it's the mind of a, what, 15 year old Gino Vega, 16 year old Gino Vega. I think it was 15, (laughs) 16, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Whatever. 15 or 16, somewhere along those lines. Um, I have continued to look back whenever the memory comes to mind in the years since, and oh, that just freaking gives me the the, the the chills, and not in a good way. Just like oh, God, that's mortifying. Cannot believe I did that. Cannot believe I infuriated someone to that level. And it really, it was just like the, the disappointment and disgust that was particularly um, gutting. Like it, it was like it, it was basically. I mean the. This guy was a kid, Bubby, maybe like a year or two little older than me, but at that age felt like he was like this this wise-aged senior many years above me. I don't mean senior in high school. I just mean a senior person. I'm not a senior citizen either. He was just, to me, he was a, a, a patriarchal adult figure and I had shamed myself to him. Um, and I have felt that shame for years. But it is time to close the book and let that shame go. Uh, I don't know whatever ha- became a Bubby and I can't remember his real name, so I never will know. Um, Mike went on to be a true cool dude for the rest of his life. And I think as some kind of like famed guitar tech or guitar creator, luthier, or whatever they call him now. Or he built the electronics for famous people's electric guitars or something. I don't know, something far cooler than any anything in my sphere or pay grade. So Mike kept it going, kept it real. Uh, no clue, whatever happened to Nalong, um, the guy Tavi, who I knew of Nalong through, I ended up encountering again, um, a few years later when I worked, um, on an assembly line, making catheters for heart stents. Maybe we can talk about that one of these days, but, uh, last I knew of him, I think he'd gone on to just become a normal suburban family man. Tavi did. Um, so cheers to all involved. Um, shame on me for, being such a mark that I thought I needed to uh, play the game to get in with the cool dudes. Uh, I guess you could say the cool dudes were kind of marks for their own gimmick, for even believing in the cool dude thing on their end. But, you know, 15 or 16, what do you know? Such is life. Folks, I hope you'd enjoyed this first installment of Mortifying Tales with Mr. Sensational Gino Vega. We will have more in the future. In the future, some of them may not be as lengthy as this one, and we'll have like a few scattershot ones in uh, succession. We will see. But for now, I bid you adieu. I feel so much lighter having unburdened myself with this, uh, this high school shame that I've been carrying around for all these years. And I will talk to you next week on the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the Icy Robots Radio Network. Yeah, I'm Chinese. And what? Yeah, you know who this is. Jin. let me tell you this. The days of the pork fried rice and the chicken wings coming to your house by me is over. Y'all gonna learn Chinese. Y'all gonna learn Chinese. Y'all gonna learn Chinese. When the pumps come out, y'all gonna speak Chinese. Yeah. Y'all gon' learn Chinese. I, don't know, why. I don't know why y'all gon' be Chinese. I know y'all gon' learn Chinese when the pumps go off. Y'all gon' speak Chinese. Listen, f your head, man. I know a bunch of quips that love red, man. Blood walk in New York, man. Things don't change. Stop the change. <laughs> this ain't you I watch too much TV. This a game of death when I ain't for your chest.